people generally uh, overestimate the impact of technology in the short term, but tend to underestimate the impact of technology in the longer term. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rupert White. Emerging technologies and environmental concerns are driving the creation of a new generation of transport solutions. This holds the potential to transform how people and goods are moved. KPMG Island's recent publication, Mobility 2030, considers Island's readiness to benefit from the opportunities presented by these mobility disruptors. These include electric vehicles, mobility as a service, and autonomous vehicles. I'm joined by KPMG Island's Head of Strategy, Chris Brown. And without further ado, here's the interview. Chris, welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. We're here to discuss mobility to 2030. Uh, could you give us an overview of the macro environment and specifically the technologies and factors that will influence mobility towards 2030? Thanks, Rick Ray. So we've been looking at both air transport and ground transport. And in ground transport over the next decade or two, we see three fundamental uh, changes coalescing. So one is around the powertrain and the technology uh, of energy source to move people from A to B. So obviously the current emphasis is on EVs, but we can come back to the wider technology agnostic view, view of that change. Second uh, disruptor we see is mobility as a service. So um, the likes of Uber have pioneered this, but obviously the uptake rate and the disruption of traditional taxi models has differed uh, by geography to date. And then the third strand, which is further out at the moment, is around autonomous vehicles. And so everybody's aware in the news that there's several of these players in trial. It's probably uh, further off into the 2030s before you see large-scale uh, commercialized use across the, the, the vehicle population. But when those three are all online, they start to reinforce themselves in, in several ways that have big implications for the overall uh, journey mix in, in a population, how often each person um, trans, transports themselves and the overall vehicle pool size as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris, I think a, a big thing to keep in mind is the overall objective behind many of these technologies, for example, electric vehicles, it is in the end to influence um, carbon emissions and to reduce carbon emissions. So maybe that's something we could we could look go into. But just to, to start off in that realm is around electric vehicles and um, Ireland's ambitious aspirations for EV rollout in the coming decade. Do you think they are likely to be met? And how should the overall goal of reducing emissions be kept in mind when policymakers think around EVs and other technologies? So at a macro level, Ireland has you know a, a climate action plan uh, and some of the implications for that out a decade ahead would imply that that we're not on track today, that the current rates of EV adoption, for example, under 30,000 units uh, sold to date need to pick up. So something needs to change in terms of the carrots and sticks that are employed through the 2020s to achieve higher adoption. Today, for example, if you look at both electrical vehicle and plug-in hybrid vehicle sales, Ireland on a per capita basis lags the, the likes of the UK and Germany. Leaders like, like Norway would be several fold ahead of Ireland in that regard. The key point on policy, though, is that policy should intervene to, to keep certain outcomes in mind as opposed to getting involved in, in how the market best gets there. So uh, some of the commentary in, in policy documents and policy settings today is around EVs in particular, electric vehicles. 
as opposed to being technology agnostic. And it's important that these policies do incentivize whatever the technology is to reach the desired outcomes, namely decarbonization across a system perspective, but also taking out particulate pollution at the point of use. And so whether it's uh, green hydrogen, electric, or some other technology, policymakers need to, to keep that in mind, as opposed to incentivizing one technology that, that may well prove to have a particular shelf life. That, that's a very good point. So it's a fine balance between allowing technologies to, to penetrate the market and locking yourself into specific technologies and kind of incurring some type of sunk cost if you, you pick a wrong horse almost. Yeah, and, and these are around timeframes, right? There's no doubt that EVs are going to be, you know, hopefully a dominant car choice in the 2020s. But again, it goes to timeframes because EVs obviously require charging infrastructure as well. And somebody needs to have a business case that stacks up for, uh, you know, on transit and destination charging points. And if EVs, for example, are overtaken within 15, 20 years by an alternative, you know, that starts to erode some of those other uh, business cases. So it's just important to, to keep in mind a holistic view that there might not be just one technology solution here. And we're seeing that from our insights in aviation as well. You know, there's the same debate going on between electrification, hybrid options, green hydrogen. And um, there could well be a scenario where you have transition products, but if they're only there for 10, 15 years is the dominant form, that has implications for those investing big in, in the related infrastructure. And, and Chris, just specifically in the context of EVs, can the grid support the growing demand if we see a higher uptake of EVs and what approaches and policy incentives could potentially make this more manageable? So, so we did some modeling in this regard. Ireland is relatively unique in Western Europe in that its overall demand on grid is substantially increasing and forecasts continue to do so. And that's driven by you know, a material addition of data centers in Ireland. So relative to Ireland's scale, that, that's quite a big uh, jump. And therefore, the grid already needs to consider that that change um, where, where some other European markets don't need to consider that and, and efficiencies elsewhere may meaningfully uh, make up the gap. That aside, in terms of overall growth uh, of, the, of the grid in Ireland, you've got to consider um, the materiality to the grid at certain times of the day for, for EV charging. And what we did there, for example, was model out realistic uh, charging behaviours at particular times of the day, and then what that might mean in terms of uh, percentage uplift on the grid, because that has implications for local transmission and distribution uh, infrastructure upgrades. What we see generally is that if um, it was you know free market, the um, laissez-faire approach that charging could happen anytime, and you achieve by twenty thirty the the government's ambition on on evs then there would be a material strain at certain times of the day on grid whereas if policy incentives uh, and pricing is in place among utilities to incentivize particular smart charging routines then it is a manageable uh, difference so effectively if evs can materially charge between 8 p.m and, and 4 or 5 a.m then, then that is manageable and the amount of um, upgrades to, to grid should be um, within reasonable limits. 
So effectively, policy needs to to nudge the correct behavior from from consumers to make make it all balance out. Yeah, and there's probably just small things in terms of nudge theory that can be done in in this regard. You could take a, a heavier-handed approach and and have it a requirement in the programming of the of the cars, of course, to follow certain behaviors in terms of charging times on grid. But uh, the easiest way would also be in terms of pricing package. So, for example, utilities are considering you know consolidated pricing packages for for home and uh, EV charging, and that those would offer significant incentives to to charge overnight. Extending onto this theme, we, we mentioned at the outset, the overall goal is obviously to curb emissions, but something that runs parallel to that is uh, congestion and especially in urban e- urban areas. And this is where mobility as a service could play a role. How, how do you see the role of, of, of this type of uh, mobility as a service in, in not only you know curbing emissions, but also helping curb congestion in, in urban centers? Yeah, vehicles in terms of total park number in a country are often more than than you need you know they're sitting idle a lot of the time and if you consider on that basis if you had a an optimized solution it would be that you have uh, within a few minutes uh, notice you have a vehicle to take you from where you need to where you need if we think of a future world like that you know basically an uberfication across the market that substantially reduces the number of vehicles required in a country. We model it up to uh, in the region of about 20%. At the same time, the, the flip of that is that it enables new journeys that, that wouldn't have happened previously. So if you think by age cohort, for example, somebody in the middle ages regularly commuting for work, they probably don't change their overall mileage if they switch to mobility as a service as opposed to driving their own car. But if you think of the elderly or the teenage uh, cohort and children going to various classes, after school activities, etc., then uh, the the mileage and the number of journeys for those cohorts substantially increases. So mobility as a service really is an enabler uh, in, in many ways in terms of social cohesion, connectivity, but it it's obviously works easier in urban and suburban environments than it does in purely rural environments, where the uh, the business case it can be more difficult. So, given Ireland's setup, um, it's no surprise that we see mobility as a service players growing uh, in the Greater Dublin area and, and other urban areas. But it, it will be a, a slower uptake uh, elsewhere. And this is where the integration of some of the other disruptors come in. So if you have an autonomous vehicle uh, for a, an Uber-type platform, then that reduces the, the unit cost. Uh, you'd imagine you've taken the human driver out of the, the equation. And with that in mind, then you start to see a total cost of ownership of having your own car then become less attractive relative to relying purely on mobility as a service, even in rural areas. So so in essence, you could effectively save on that capital outlay of owning a car. In that instance, it could be some type of a saving for for car owners, but obviously also it it should be more efficient just making use of 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 a service provider just when you need to actually travel and you don't have that cost of a car sitting in the in the in the driveway. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people have cars for more than just pure transportation. Some people, it's a hobby. They like particular models, etc. 
there will always be a place for for people who, who own cars in the future but the average unit of, of cars per household will likely decrease with time as as autonomous vehicles and mobility as service combine to become more ubiquitous uh, and I'd also expect that the total number of people that are you know qualified to, to self-drive to fall so you can already see in UK statistics for example a drop over the last few years in terms of new uh, driving licenses being, being issued at, at the uh, incoming age cohorts about 17 uh, 16 years old and with that in mind the, the long-term trend therefore will be particularly in urban areas but then eventually suburban and, and rural areas as well that the the overall ownership levels drop but mobility as a service enables the overall uh, journey count to increase mm-hmm. going into to autonomous vehicles chris do you do you see irish consumers as interested and willing to buy an av for themselves if if you think about those that do want to own their own vehicle yeah and you can look at various studies in terms of comparing national attitudes i don't see ireland being any more uh, hesitant uh, than the European average in, in this regard. But it will be uh, one of those things that certain areas in the in the globe, likely outside of Ireland, will pioneer it. There are opportunities in, in Ireland to pioneer as well. So around Limerick, there, there's basically a pilot centre uh, around ground and air autonomous transportation. But with exceptions like that aside, on a commercial basis, you know, you'll, you'll likely see rollout in the likes of the Gulf states, Singapore, US, etc., uh, first particular European markets. So it's only a matter of time really before it does uh, hit Ireland and, and consumer acceptance uh, would rise. The interesting thing is that once it does start to meaningfully um, contribute to overall vehicle volumes is, you know, going back to what I mentioned about the, the overall vehicle park decreasing but still allowing more total vehicles, vehicle journeys among the elderly and, and the young. That has huge implications in terms of how transport is insured. So auto insurance and paying per trip as opposed to, to annual um, coverage. It also has huge implications for elsewhere in the value chain. So if you're selling car units today uh, and car units could go down anything around 20%, that has huge implications for how you're going to be set up and uh, and make profit in the future as well. So the implication is, you know, where are the other services that you can drive up that revenue difference from? Chris, thank you. That was very insightful. So I think um, there's, there's a few learning points that, that came out of our discussion. I think the one, uh, one point is around what's the motivation behind a lot of policy and these technologies is this idea of reducing our carbon emissions. And that's quite important for policymakers to keep in mind and especially to be uh, agnostic to technology and be open to different types of technologies. We've mentioned around uh, mobility as a service and autonomous vehicles that seem to have opportunity for synergy between the two. There's opportunity for consumers to to potentially save on, on the cost of, of owning a car, um, whilst there will always be people who have a special interest and might want to own a car. You know, it will differ between between people further on for just broader industries um, on the other side of the consumer um, you know they need to think about things like insurance and and what's going to happen for example for car major car brands will will they continue to offer the same product in the future how will they reach the consumer what will the consumer want from them 
changes in mobility um, will influence all the role players across the spectrum. So it's definitely an interesting space to 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 keep an eye on. Thank you so much for for those insights. Um, do you have any other final comments? Yeah, I think it's one of those cases. You know, to paraphrase the, the saying, um, you know, people generally uh, overestimate the impact of technology in the short term, but tend to underestimate the impact of technology in the longer term. And that's the case here. Those three pillars we've talked about, transformation of the powertrain, mobility as a service, and autonomous vehicles, each in their own right uh, can have you know, valid criticism and skepticism in terms of the rollout timeframe and uh, genuine uh, ramp up across a, a wider population as opposed to particular use cases. But once all three really start to coalesce, uh, I think it'll each will accelerate and, and reinforce the other. And therefore, it's quite a feasible scenario that even in rural Ireland by 2040, you would have um, somebody who feels no need to have a car or to learn to drive themselves because with sufficient notice, they can get from A to B at an affordable price that once you consider all the journeys they need to make in a year, it's still less than actually uh, owning their own vehicle. Thank you, Chris. That's very insightful. And thanks again. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.